At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Scotty Jones to talk about vacationing on a farm with farm stays. Scotty is a woman with many talents. She has an MA in Medieval Archaeology plus an MBA. She worked at Arizona State University for 11 years, was the Arizona franchisee for The Body Shop, and later director of retail and host services at the Phoenix Zoo. Plus, she had a large greenhouse in her backyard in South Tempe where they grew hydroponic tomatoes and chilies. Currently, she is a sheep farmer at Leaping Lamb Farm in Oregon, a farm stay host and founder of Farm Stay US, a national travel site for farm and ranch vacations. Who would have thunk that? Building on the success of her own farm stay, she has made it her mission via farmstayus.com to raise awareness of the thousand plus working farms and ranches in the U.S. that offer overnight accommodations. For travelers, it's about experiencing farm life at the source, not just at the farmer's market. Her feeling? It's all about real food, real farmers, and living the lifestyle that built this nation, if only for a weekend. Welcome to the show today, Scotty. 
Thank you very much, Greg. I'm glad to be here. Oh, you bet. I'm excited, actually. Uh, I interviewed one of your farm stay hosts a couple of weeks ago, and they pointed me in your direction. And when they did that, it was like, oh my gosh, I got to get her on the show. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure, I'd love to. Um, so you're living in Phoenix right now. It's what, 105 degrees. So we had lived in Tempe for 22 years. My husband is fourth generation Arizona. Things had changed since the 1950s when he grew up there. And we were looking, and he specifically, for something cooler, wetter, greener. And as I always like to say, if you were to Google that, you'd probably come up with Oregon. (laughs) So we found a farm on the internet Mm -hmm. in Oregon, and we moved our whole family up here, animals and everything we owned. It was a bumpy path. We were naive. It's called being naive at 50. (laughs) Uh, This was a second career, and neither of us really had a clue of what we were getting into. And as our accountant always likes to say, wouldn't it have been less expensive to have bought a red sports red car. sports car, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, what kind of fun would that would there be in that? Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> so you moved to a farm called? Well, we named it Leaping Lamb Farm. Uh-huh. It had a different name that went with its owner, and it took a couple of years, and sitting on the back deck over beers with friends and watching the lambs leaping in the orchard, to come up with that name, but it seemed uh, it's worked really well for us. Nice. Tell us about the farm. So this is a 65-acre farm. We are in a uh, in the coast range of Oregon, so that means we're in a slot valley. We are the only farm on this road. About 20 of it is arable acres. About a quarter acre is a large garden. Mm-hmm. We have a large greenhouse, and we raise lamb for the meat market. So we have uh, 20 ewes and about 40 lambs right now. We also have an eight-acre hay field, so we we grow and um, harvest our own hay. Wow, cool! Tell me about that. And we have orchards. Oh, and oh, <laughs> all right, okay. So well, saying... and we have orchards, and we have berries, and we have we have you could uh, feast here uh, forever on fruits and vegetables and be pretty happy. So, what's wrong with your accountant that he thinks this is a bad thing? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Oregon taxes are really high compared to other states. That's one thing. And he is a city boy. I think he thought we lost our minds. We were city people as well. You know, we did have an acre that we lived on in uh, South Tempe. Uh And we did have a greenhouse, as you mentioned. And we did grow a lot of our own um, vegetables in the, well, really the winter, not the summer. Right. But I think he thought we'd lost our minds. As did most of our friends. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to be quite honest, they all thought, why would we want to give up a white-collar lifestyle for a rural, a rural lifestyle that was going to probably be hard work? We missed that last part, the hard work the hard part. Work. I don't know what we were. We, yeah. we, were, we had the romantic, idealized uh, vision of feeding ourselves. You know, I've, I've lived in Phoenix for 50 years this year. Um, I had an opportunity for one of those 50 years to not live in the the Phoenix metro area. Well, not live in the Phoenix area. I lived in Peoria, which is 20 miles Hmm. west of where I live. And, uh, you know, next to cotton fields and, you know, and one of the things that I noticed out there is it was quieter. Yes. I'll bet, I'll bet the quiet out there is deafening. 
the quiet out here is fabulous deafening i don't know because there are lots of noises especially in the uh, night but there's our roosters and there's our sheep when the babies have lost their moms and there's uh, the creek yeah. so my white noise is very different than your white noise oh, yeah. but i'll tell you what was most amazing moving out here i grew up on the east coast and in the summers we would go up to cape cod and you could always see the milky way i don't ever mm. remember seeing the milky way living in phoenix of course not we moved to we moved here, and you can see the Milky Way as if it's lying right on top of you. It is the wow. stars are incredible out here. Yeah. So that was a big that was a big aha surprise, yeah. wonderful surprise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've only ever once seen the Milky Way, actually a couple of times, but the, at the same place. I went sailing in the Sea of Cortez in the early '90s a couple of times, and you know it, it's 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 amazing to see that. Well, then you're going to have to come up to Oregon. You'll have to come up to the farm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's a big pull these days for me to, after 50 years here in Phoenix, to buy the farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that <laughs> cool. and disabuse you of a few of those. Cool, 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 cool. Ideas. So okay. I want you to tell me about your orchard. Given that I'm an orchard guy here in Phoenix, I run a urban okay. farm tree program here teaching people about fruit trees. Tell me about your orchard. Okay, so we have, this is a, a homestead that was homesteaded in 1895, and the original family and all the families out here mm -hmm. uh, planted apple trees. So we have a 100-year-old apple orchard. We have king's apples. We have graverstein. We also have pears. We have Bartlett pears. We have bosque pears. Uh, and we have a bunch of apple trees that I don't know what they are because... I was so overwhelmed when we first moved here uh -huh. that the former owner, when she was telling me exactly what everything was, mm -hmm. I didn't write it down. And so we have a bunch of really good-tasting apples. <laughs> <laughs> they're, called the, they're called the good-tasting apples. The good-tasting apples. But what's really interesting about our valley, so this is planted primarily, we're in a logging area, mm -hmm. and it's uh, dug fir. But if you walk up and down this valley, even through the forest, you will see apple trees. It's almost like Johnny Appleseed. Mm, and a lot of the course. apples are very small, and they roll perfectly down um, the path to get juiced for cider, for apple cider. Oh, yes. And so we have great, a lot of great apple cider apples here. Nice. I was going to ask yeah. you what you do with all those apples. Apple pie. Of course, mm -hmm. apple crisp, and then I take a lot of those apples and I put them in a mixture and freeze them so I can make apple pie during the winter. Wintertime, yeah. Apple sauce, and then apple juice, apple cider. Yeah. Um, when we can get a couple friends to help us do that. Right. And I call it liquid gold. Oh yeah. Because it really looks like gold, and it's the best tasting. Yeah. Uh, and then so what I do with that is I freeze that. Oh yeah. So I'll of freeze gallon, yeah. gallons of yeah. Wow. So are you selling any of them, or is this all for your personal consumption? No, this is all for our personal yeah. consumption at this point. Nice. And then, you know, what else, what else falls on the ground goes to the sheep, because I figure sheep that have been eating apples all fall will have a very good flavor when you yeah. actually eat the lamb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the other question I was going to ask you, if you ever use any of them for fodder. Yes, yeah. we do. We use a lot for fodder. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, grapes that were left over from the old timers. I don't know what kind of grapes they are. I just know that they're seedless and they're purple and they make fabulous jams and jellies. Oh, nice. And um, just to eat straight off of the vine. You know, you're really pushing me to lose my mind here. 
Yeah, I didn't tell you about the blueberries and the raspberries and the blackberries, right? Yeah, maybe I should maybe I should do la 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 la. So after my conversation a couple of weeks ago with the Peplers at Dogwood Hills Farmstay, I got really excited to talk with you about Farmstay because you know, giving people life on a farm experiences, that's pretty dang cool. So what is Farmstay and what is it not? This is what I tell people. So, and this was my interpretation of it. So that when we started the U.S. Farmstay Association, this is what a farmstay is. It is coming to stay nightly accommodations on a working farm or ranch. So you're not staying potentially in an old farmhouse on a farm that's not really a farm anymore, doesn't have any animals, doesn't mm-hmm. do any farming. Mm-hmm. These are working operations. And in terms of what you do as a guest, you don't have to do anything. I mean, you can just come and stay. Or for a lot of us, if you want to come and help us with chores or observe us with chores, we would love to have you do that because it's all about bridging a rural-urban divide that has really been growing wider and wider. I mean, there haven't been family farms and people coming off the family farm since World War II. And we are so far removed these days that a lot of kids don't really get it. You know, eggs come out of a carton from Safeway. <laughs> right, exactly. And they don't, you don't collect them from, a, from underneath a chicken. So what Ruth is doing, and we offer a farm stay at our farm, is giving urbanites, usually urbanites, that opportunity to uh-huh. come stay with us and experience what we do. But there's, another, there's a whole other side to it, and that is that it's very hard to be sustainable as a small farm, even as a large farm. And we are always looking for other avenues uh, to diversify our income. Mm -hmm. So that for me, when the price of lamb drops from $1.80 a pound to 90 cents a pound in one year, I have something else to sustain me other than losing money on raising my on selling my lambs that year. Right. So it's, it's vitally important for a lot of us Mm -hmm. uh, to diversify in, in every way that we can think of. And if you can diversify into something that's not ag- not specifically ag-related mm-hmm. or weather-related, <laughs> then Yay. you have a better chance of yeah, uh, exactly. success. Exactly. Farmstay U.S. is a trade association. Now, you created this trade association? Yes, I did. So tell me about that, because that's, that's a pretty big step. So we, you know, we started hosting Leaping Lamb Farms Day in 2006. Mm-hmm. We became very busy within a couple of years and were booked all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would have people who had found us by Googling Farms Day or come stay on a farm. And they were disappointed that they couldn't stay with us. So I was right there with them on Google trying to find other locations for them and realizing that there was no one spot where you could find all the farm stays in the U.S. or in Oregon, mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, I was familiar with this concept. This is not a new con- it's new. A co- it's a new concept in the U.S., but it is not new in Europe. It is not new in Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And in those countries, in France and England and Italy, there are specific websites. So it seemed like we should have one. And since there wasn't one, I decided to apply for a USDA grant to see if I could put together a website that would host all of us on it and promote us to the American traveler 
as a new travel niche. Wow. That, yeah. is, that is pretty dang epic. Yes. And so I actually got two USDA grants to get ourselves launched. Uh-huh. It's kind of, it's grown from there. And I will have to say at the very beginning, I had my daughter, my college-age daughters, her friends, my women farmer friends, all of us were researching everywhere around the U.S. to find every farm stay we could find, uh-huh. at which point we then realized that there's farms back east that call themselves ranches, and there's ranches out here that call themselves farms, farms. and so although it's Farm Stay U.S., it's working farms and ranchers, which also includes vineyards, because vineyards are farms. Oh, yes, of course. Um, it just kind of morphed into more and more and more. But that, that's basically where we started, because I just felt that Americans were disconnected. Americans mm. should know that they didn't have to travel to Italy to be able to go stay on a farm. And I felt that for what was interesting is that this was a new concept for a lot of American farms, too. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. if you talk to older, older farmers, they'll go, why would anybody pay to come stay on my farm? <laughs> you know, they just don't, they don't see that. And so it took some newer farmers like us who came the other route to go, oh, yeah, this would be something that we, this is an opportunity we would like to open up to others. And for us, quite honestly, it was for whether we were going to stay on our farm or not, because our farm was costing us money. Uh, Um, My husband had a full-time job off-site, but there was no money to pay for the tractor to break down. There was no money to, you know, selling lamb is a zero-sum proposition if you're only selling 40 lambs a year. Right. So... We needed something else, and that was why we originally added the farm stay to the farm. And then I found out that I was actually a pretty good host because I knew exactly what my guests were going to ask and what they didn't know because that was me when we got here. Mm -hmm. I asked all all those same questions. I had all those same anxieties and feelings and, like, is this the right way to throw scratch to a chicken? And so it worked it worked well that way, and then I think the Farm Stay U.S. has given. Uh, it's been a it's been a long road. I still, when I tell somebody that I host a Farm Stay, they always think I'm saying Farm Stand. Oh, so right. it we haven't nine out of ten people. I bet nine point five out of ten of your listeners will have never heard of a Farm Stay before. Right. So that's my goal in life. Is, is to, to educate people about Farm Stay. Educate people that they can come stay on our farms. You don't have to buy the farm. You can ju- you can come stay with us. <laughs> nice. We enjoy the we enjoy the company. Yeah. And maybe you'll decide to buy a farm. You know, right. maybe you'll decide that that's life for you. Mm-hmm. Or you'll decide, phew, thank God I didn't do it. But yeah, I'd love to keep coming and just visiting. Yeah. Do you have people that come back regularly to visit you? I do. So we get we at this point have people that have come back six, seven, eight times. I just, I get to see their children grow up. Oh, so my gosh. really kind of cool. So people yeah. are vacationing there. They are vacationing, absolutely. They come for weekends or they come for a week, and they know the names of the animals when they're my repeat guests, and they know all of us. And I'm kind of grandma. You know, I'm grandma yeah. for a lot of these families. I don't like to think of myself as that old, but I am grandma. Yeah. I'm Farmer Scotty. I'm Farmer Scotty. I'm Miss Scotty. I'm Nana. You know, I'm all those things. I'm the grandmother... That they they that they wanted to if have they had if, if that they wanted to have yeah yes wow. yep that has the farm yeah that has the chickens yeah. that has the eggs mm-hmm. <laughs> that has the donkey how you know. incredibly beautiful is that yeah yep 
But I should say we have we now have farm managers that have just moved on our farm to help us, and so they're not going to be grandma, but they're going to be the farmers. Right. And so that will be Farmer Teagan and Farmer Justin, yeah. who will be working working with our guests yeah. as well. And and part of the reason you can afford to have them is because of your farm stay program. Yes. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Yep. And um, and it's. So that is a whole other topic. That is farm succession and how do young farmers get onto farms. Oh, yes. And so one way that they do it is they come on as farm managers. Since you brought the topic up, let's talk about farm succession and, and what it means and the importance of it. Sure. Well, okay, so Greg and I are standard age for farmers these days. So uh-huh. um, the majority of farms are run by people in their 60s. Mm-hmm. And we are all looking at ways for, <laughs> are, are we going to die? Well, yes, maybe we'll die on the farm, but are we going right. to die working on the farm, not, you know, sun up to sundown? So there are a lot of programs actually out here in Oregon trying to figure out succession for farms because mm-hmm. they're not um, attainable in terms of uh, income right. uh, for young farmers to be able to buy for the right. most part. So they're either being passed down. Or we are all trying to come up with what are we going to do? How are we going to keep this as a farm and not sell it off and and have it become a hobby farm? How is it going to stay a working farm? And then you have all these young farmers. So these guys are in their 30s. And how are they going to get onto a farm? They have a ton of skills. They know a lot more than we do, actually. They've done a lot more schooling than we ever did. Um, So how are they going to be able to apply those? And so we were matched by my extension agent. And so Arizona State has an extension, yep. but Oregon State has extension. Yep. I've worked very closely with my extension agent since we moved here because I didn't know anything. And so I took the first basic class living on the land, like learning about soil, learning about water, mm. learning about mm-hmm. fencing, learning about mud. These guys had also um, done some work with her. And so we were all very lucky that that was the match that was made. And we're actually being used as a prototype, kind of like, how, how are we going to work this out? What right. kind of contracts are we going to come out with between all of us? And, you know, what's it going to look like for the future? Yeah. To get the, we've to, only been doing this for... Sorry. Go ahead, please. You've only been, well, I was going to say, we've only been doing this for six months, but I am very hopeful that this is going to be a very long-term situation. Yeah, because yeah. it's really, really important to get the young people... <laughs> Into this yep. process, yeah, of le- yep. figuring out yep. how to purchase land because it's so expensive these days. Yep, yeah. it's so expensive, and and what we've got isn't something that we could we couldn't have afforded to buy this back when we were their age either. Right. right. So it's a matter of figuring out what that succession is going to look like, and this is going to be vitally important in the next ten years. I mean, the next ten years, there's going to be a ton of transition going on, and that's why um, at least our state's putting a lot of effort mm-hmm. into what does that look like. Yeah. So. So back to farm stay. Yes. How many members do you have? So we have on the site about 850 farms that are listed. Wow. Of that in our association, uh-huh. we have about 150 members. So those are people who pay us dues so that we can market them. Mm-hmm. They are on the site with full listings. Since we've started this, there are probably in the U.S. at this point between 1,000 and 1,500 farm stays. Wow. Um, you will find them maybe on Airbnb mm-hmm. or VRBO or places like that. Um, 
but and we need to capture all of those. We just um, haven't had the capacity to do that um, up to this point. We do know that they're there. And as more farms become aware of this as a diversification strategy, I think you'll see more. But I want to point out that there might be, say there's 1,500 of us in the entire United States. Uh There are 7,200 in um, (laughs) England. There are 5,000 in France. And there are 20,000 in Italy. So we're a little behind the times in terms of that strategy to help our farms. And we don't have quite the same support that they do over there Mm -hmm. with tourism and the departments of ag, Um, partly because those countries, it's a national tourism office, it's a national ag ag office. For us, we're statewide. We tend to be state or regional. Um, So it makes it a little more difficult. And agritourism is a kind of a bugaboo for some states. Yeah. Well, and people they love just, us and they hate us. Yeah, and people just don't know yet, I think. No, no. They don't know. I mean, my, even my mother said to me, she goes, why would I want to go to, why would I have ever considered or thought to take you children to a farm, farm. for a vacation? Yeah. I'm like, Mom. I mean, once people get here, we actually did some videos recently uh-huh. because there are some major misconceptions. We're gonna, it's going to be boring. It's going to be dirty. And we're going to make you work. Right. We're going to make you pay to work. So it is. Ne- farms are never boring. We have never had any guests just saying, this is the most boring thing I've ever done. It's yep. mostly, we don't want to leave. Um, dirty, only it's dirty where it should be dirty. The, where your lodging is is not dirty. You're not sleeping on dirty sheets. Right. And in terms of making you work, my, my offer is always, you're paying me to come to stay here. If you would like to come help me, I would love to have you accompany me. But if you want to sit on the deck and read a good book and drink a beer, go for it. Perfect. You know? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. and that's true. That's true of all of us. It's not yeah. just my yeah. place. So, what kind of farms would I expect to find on the website? You could, you would find a small to medium-sized farms, and you would find everything from people that raise livestock mm-hmm. to people that grow crops. You will find farms that have CSAs or sell at farmers markets. You will have alpaca farms. You will have uh, people who want to teach you if you would like. There's classes on how to uh, make cheese, how to uh, weave. Wow. You can milk things on some farms. Uh-huh. That seems to be a big thing. Everybody wants to milk a cow or a goat. <laughs> yeah. Not all of us. Not all of us have that opportunity. Have yeah. that opportunity for you. Yeah. When we but ta- a number when we talked to Ruth uh, Pepler, yeah. that's one of the things they they built out a space where people could go and milk their yep. animals. It's like yep. cool. They do. And so for me, because I raise, I have baby lambs, everybody wants to see lambs born. A lot of times they'll see them right after they've been born. Oh, yeah. But they also want to feed them bottles. And we don't bottle feed anybody unless it was um, abandoned by its mother. Uh-huh. So for the years where I have bottle babies, everybody's really happy. But other than that, I just put lambs on children's, on people's laps, and that makes them pretty happy too. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that works. And we do have a donkey that can be brushed. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah, so I'd have to say uh, a lot of us are what are called diversified farms. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have both. We're going to be having livestock and we're going to be having crops. Right. So they can plug in and do play wherever they want to play. They can plug in and play wherever they want to play. I mean, I have a creek that runs through my property. A lot of properties have ponds. Uh A lot of us have hiking on our properties, off our properties. 
Um, and I do have, you know, there's waterfalls near me. The coast is an hour away and people will go, oh, we're going to go do those things. And then they never leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's know. It's the farm life that got you to move there rather than to buy the red sports car. Exactly. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's not such a bad life. It's hard. It's hard work. You know, keeps me strong. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's one of the things I love. So I'm, I'm a third of an acre right smack in the middle of Phoenix. So if you stand on my roof and look 50 miles in every direction, mm-hmm. there's houses. And I have a third of an acre, and I call it the urban farm, and I do farm work. You know, this Saturday... You can grow a lot on a third of an acre. You can grow That's a lot. a lot of work. Yep, exactly. So I hear you uh, on, the, on the hard work, and that's the... F- really, for me, it's not hard work. It's fun work. No, it you smells know? good. Yeah. The dirt smells good. Yeah, exactly. The dirt smells good, and I love baby lambs. Baby lambs oh, smell really good, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, farmstayus.com, uh, yes. that's where we find you at. And yes. if, if somebody wanted to do searches, I'm sure there's search possibilities. What can, what, what can we find on the website? So, you can find, you can search if you want to be on a ranch. You could just search ranches. Mm-hmm. If you want to be on a farm, you can just search farms. But you could also search by activities. So say you want to milk something, mm-hmm. you could click the box that says milking. If you want to ride a horse, you could click the box that says ride a horse. So we have a bazillion activities. We also have amenities. Say you want to go to a farm that has a hot tub, you could click on hot tub. Mm, yeah. Or you want to go to a farm that serves uh, three meals a day or has vegan food or mm. vegetarian food mm-hmm. or uh, has a chef on site. I mean, you can click on just about anything you want. You want to go to a farm where kids are allowed, because I'll have to say, not all farms allow children. Oh. Uh, most of our farms do. Mm-hmm. Not all farms do. Also, you want to bring your dog. Some farms, mm. actually more than I would have thought, allow you to bring your dog to their farm. Oh, interesting. I do not. Right. I do not. Uh-huh. So you can search that way. You can search on price. You can search on state. So you know what yeah. state you want to go to or what right. region you want to go to. Right. And what's really cool is, so say you were to search on Oregon. You could get all the Oregon farms, and then mm-hmm. you can map it. Because if you go, well, I don't know where Beaver uh, Creek is, or right. I don't know where Alsea is, you could map it, and you could see on your driving route from California up through Oregon to Washington, you could actually figure out how to stay at farms mm-hmm. all the way up. Oh, nice. Starting, <laughs> starting, in L- starting in L.A., you could stay at farms all the way up through Washington. To Canada. Or anywhere else in the country, right. any other driving route right. you want. Nice. So instead of staying at that... Holiday Inn Express, you know, stay, go stay on a farm. Probably. And if you have your horses, you can actually bring your horses to some of those farms, there too. There you go. There you go. And stable them. So you've been doing this about a decade. Is that what I remember hearing? Yep, I have been. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, and I want you to think okay. back at all of the farms that you've worked with. Is there one moment that stands out as like, wow. Wow, as in good wow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as in, oh, okay. absolutely as in good wow. Like epic, like wow, I can't epic. believe this is okay. happening, wow. Okay, well, okay, there's a couple different wows like that. So first of all, when I look at what all these other farms are doing, because I talk to them on the phone, and I know them all relatively well these days, mm-hmm. I'm exhausted listening to all the things that they do to keep their farm viable mm-hmm. and all the opportunities they provide for guests. I mean, there's a farm up in um, Michigan, and she cooks over a wood stove, and she runs her whole farm 19th century all the way down to the dress and the 
food and how she grows her food. Whoa. She her guests. And I find that exhausting. I yeah. think she does use electricity, however. But in terms of the biggest, and this is the newest wow, we have a new farm member. They're called White Oak Pastures. They're down in Georgia. They are a big operation. And they've just added farm stays. They are fifth or sixth generation farmers. They struggled. I mean, they struggled with what they were doing, and they more struggled not so much financially Mm -hmm. as they did how to keep their generations employed within them to be of interest to them, but also how to do the right thing in farming. And they went from a commercial farm strategy Uh back to organic. And they have everything on their farm. Now they have an abattoir. That's where you kill your animals. Mm -hmm. So they raise everything. They they process, it's called processing, they Mm -hmm. process it, they also grow flowers, they grow veggies, and now they offer this farm state because they want to be as transparent as possible so that people can see what a working, organic, generational family farm could look like and how it could be successful because there's so many stories of us not being successful and us not being viable. But these guys have figured it out. They took some huge risks huge loans from USDA, mm-hmm. but it's paid off. And um, it's a very impressive farm, and wow. I can't wait to go visit them. <laughs> White Oak Pastures. White Oak. I am going to go find them. I want them on my it, podcast. They're in Buff, Buffton, Georgia. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, so they, awesome. they are impressive. There are other impressive farms. I mean, yeah. there are impressive farms in Vermont that have been doing it a long time, and and all the way to California. But yeah. those guys still stand out for me because talk about feeling tired. Well, they have a lot of employees, however. Right. So. Yeah. I just thought they were brilliant. They well, were they were really brilliant. Yeah. When you get it. when you get bigger, you need help. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, I would say, um, let's see, there are a lot of failures on farms, and <laughs> I would always hope that there, that would be the last one. Mm-hmm. And for me, my failures the most have been with lambing, with my sheep. And I would have to say that at the beginning, while I didn't have a lot of loss of lambs, mm-hmm. I had more than I should have. Mm-hmm. And that was because I really didn't have a background in what I was doing. And so I made mistakes that I didn't know I was making. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you come to farming as a second career, you do not have ag in your background. Um, you do absolutely need to rely on the resources of your neighbors, the resources of your extension, and any classes and books and Googling that you can possibly yeah. do. And so um, I, I didn't even know that I wasn't being as successful as I should be with my lambs at the very beginning. So I consider that a failure, that I was mm. naive enough not, not to realize that um, yeah. I wasn't doing a good job. So the way I solved that, however, was that I did um, ask neighbors, and they, they did help me, and they did point me in directions, mm. and I did use extension. And I did take a lambing class. So after the first couple of years where things were just not going the way they were supposed to be going, I took a lambing class, Mm -hmm. and I learned how to do what I was supposed to be doing. Now, when I started off, I just said, I wish that you would have it all sorted out and you would never make any mistakes again. (laughs) And that that just 
doesn't happen. Every year something new happens. And I can't say this is really a failure. This is kind of a funny story. But um, I had surprise lambs in January. I'm supposed to lamb middle of March uh-huh. to, through April. And lo and behold, five ewes dropped 10 lambs on the ground at the end of January. And I'm thinking, I didn't even have my rams near my ewes last, last summer. Right. So how could this be? Well, um, I, for the boys, I have to castrate them. And I apparently failed at castrating one of my lambs <laughs> totally. I got one ball. I didn't get the other one. Uh-huh. And I, had, I knew that. And I thought, oh, but nothing. What, what can he do? <laughs> Ten lambs. What can he do? What can he do? So I, had, I have some very nice lambs. Nice. So that was my most recent failure. Or success. <laughs> or success, yeah. yes. I have ten healthy, lamb, yeah. healthy lambs. Yeah, so. exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think my biggest success was figuring out how to diversify into a farm stay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was something, it was a big leap, but it was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? We need to come up with um, some alternative. And I think, you know, it's funny. So when I used to work at the Phoenix Zoo, I was basically in retail. So I talked to people all day, mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. We moved to the, and my husband is a psychologist. And so he would talk to one person at a time. So he was much more, I don't want to say isolated because it wasn't isolated, but it was more isolated. Yeah. We moved here. He's teaching to classes of 50 students at a time, and I'm speaking to the sheep. <laughs> so adding the farm stay was a success um, for our guests, but for me as well. Um, it enabled me to be able to talk to people, tell them what yeah. I had learned, uh, watch them learn, be an educator, you know, use what could have been just a bunch of lemons and really make it into something yeah. that worked for all of us. And figure out how to make that offering to 850 other farms around the country. And figure out how to do that to more people. Yeah. Yes, that was a success Ep- too. Epic. That is truly yep. epic. So what drives you? You know, I watch how families come here and how kids' faces just light up. And I hear them say things, well, I was going to be a policeman or a fireman, and now I want to be a farmer. farmer. And that is, going to be, that is that generation that we need to encourage yeah. because we will need them to be farmers. So that drives me. The other thing that drives me is, you know, and I mostly host to families, to see families play together eat together. Mm-hmm. Nobody looks at their phones or on their computers. The kids drop all that stuff. Parents are out on the lawn with their kids or hiking in the woods or playing in the creek. Yeah. It's kind of like beaver cleaver time. <laughs> and it gives nice. people a time, ta- gives them a chance to just unplug, decompress, reconnect. Yeah. You know, reconnect with each other, kind of connect with nature. I we, you know, and you know, you live in Phoenix, oh, yeah. and I felt the same. There's an awful lot of sidewalk and an awful lot oh, of snow, yeah. and not as much nature to brush against. Right. So here, people brush nature, and they are in it, and they're in it up to their elbows, and they smell it, and they hear it. So um, that drives me, because I think that's really important. Yeah. Nice. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there a resource that's been influential for you in this process in your life? Well, and I and I brought it up before. So extension services yeah. through in every state are valuable. And for here, we have a small farms program. And quite honestly, since I wasn't a farmer in Arizona, I don't remember if there's a small farms program. There is. They are a very useful resource. Yeah. Because yeah. they teach classes besides just giving you information oh, over the phone. Oh, yes, that is the case. Yeah. So yeah. what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? 
I would say come stay on a farm. Mm-hmm. You know, you may decide that this is something that's fun to do for a weekend and it's a great way to unplug. You might decide you want to be a farmer and that's not such a bad thing. I think, you know, you need to go into it with your eyes open. Maybe not quite the way we went into it. <laughs> I wouldn't just <laughs> go in blindly. Yeah. Uh, but we do have guests who come here that are trying it out. And the one thing about being a farmer is that, you know, a lot of us are connected still through DSL or the satellite. So you're not totally disconnected if you have to do something else, but you can still be on your farm. But I would say um, book a farm stay, try us out. We're all different. And I think that you will um, enjoy it and go home with some pretty good stories. That was absolutely wonderfully beautiful. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Scotty. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Greg, you are very welcome. (laughs) How can our listeners get a hold of you? They can find me at FarmStayUS at www.farmstayus.com. My email is scotty, S-C-O-T-T-I-E, at farmstayus.com. I'm also at Leaping Lamb Farm, so you can find that by Googling Leaping Lamb Farm on the Internet. Perfect. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash farmstay. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. 
If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth, yields, and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.